Hello, this is Patricia, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the February issues of the Island Dispatch and the Niagara County Tribune Sentinel on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Starting with the Niagara County Tribune Sentinel for February 9th, front page, Parkway Talks Begin Again, Phase 3 Scoping Opens for Niagara Scenic Parkway by Terry Duffy. Consultant teams representing the New York State Office of Parks, Recreation, and Historic Preservation, the New York Power Authority, New York State Department of Transportation, and various local stakeholder groups provided Insight Tuesday on the future of the Niagara Scenic Parkway in a well-attended public information session at DeVoe Woods State Park. Mark Mistretta, State Park's Regional Director, opened the Phase 3 scoping discussions on the parkway by recalling the successes of its Phases 1 and 2 improvements. Known earlier as the Robert Moses State Parkway, significant work was done on the roadway in 2006 from the North Grand Island Bridges to Niagara Falls State Park. Phase 2 work began in 2013 and transformed the parkway from its expressway type vehicular traffic setup to parkland and trails along Whirlpool Street to Finley Drive. This next phase is a little bit more involved. There's more roadway networks. A lot of people have been asking about it. We don't know yet, Mistretta said, as to the future parkway designs. We have some concepts we developed, but we're really here to listen. Tuesday's session was presented as the first outreach to gauge community interests, and Mistretta said state officials would hold future sessions over the next 15 to 18 months as planning continues. We'll see how that goes. He said the scoping process coincides with a decking improvement process of three riverside traffic lanes over the NYPA power generating plant in Lewiston. The New York Power Authority is investing $1 billion in their three bridges over the dam, he said. The two projects are so intertwined, it's incumbent upon us to come up with the best solutions, the best design, so it all works well together. Mistretta said State Parks is operating under a continuing agreement with its stakeholders developed under Phase 2 of this project. These include Empire State Development, USA, Niagara, the DOT, and MYPA. That is how a lot of this work is being done, and Parks is in the lead. Paul Tronalone, Vice President of Planning and Policy for Empire State Development, served as the technical leader during Phases 1 and 2. He told attendees Tuesday that ESD, together with USA, Niagara, and NYPA, continue their work towards redefining the recreational elements of this ongoing project. The New York Power Authority actually owns a lot of the land upon which the parkway sits. It's a combination ownership between state parks and the Power Authority, he explained. Tronalone said the original parkway construction was part of the NYPA Lewiston project back in 1962, and its continuing upgrades includes input from the federal government plus state and local interests. 
The parkway itself is part of the state parkway system and was created in the 1950s and 60s, he said. The original Robert Moses Parkway was a four-lane expressway that ran from the Grand Island Bridge all the way up to Youngstown Porter. And the calls for its removal started within a decade of its being completed. Tronalone explained the state's corrective actions on the parkway began in the early 1980s with work on the southern segment, Phase 1, from the Grand Island Bridges to Niagara Falls State Park. He said state officials have pursued multiple projects and plans towards a desired removal and reconfiguration of the parkway from 1990 to current day. A 2000 pilot project completed by DOT reduced the original four lanes of parkway to two lanes with two-way traffic access along the southern segment augmented by a trail system where the original traffic lanes were situated. The second phase in the northern zone removed all parkway lanes from Main Street to Finley Drive at DeVoe Woods State Park and was completed in 2020. From Finley Drive towards Center Street in Lewiston, the parkway features the one-road, two-way vehicle configuration with a river trail before switching back to four lanes past the NYPA operations above the hill. It continues in this current arrangement towards Center Street. Tronalone said DOT has continually studied traffic impacts from earlier parkway design changes and found the traffic impact to be minimal. We really didn't have a big traffic movement along this four-lane expressway, he said. Total daily traffic impact is under 5,000 cars per day. That's a tenth of what runs of the I-90. I-190. There are sections of the 190 that get north of 50,000 cars per day. Tron alone said traffic studies found that adjoining roads, Route 104 and others, operate at an acceptable level of service right now. And even if you added all the trips on the parkway in this study, you really wouldn't have an impact from a daily commuting scenario. From a mere traffic standpoint, there was never really a need for a four-lane expressway in the first place, he said. As far as Phase 3 from Finley Drive from Center Street, consultant John Hubert, project manager of Collier's Engineering and Design, and staffer Kim Bastiste discussed what's ahead for this section as three design alternatives from the original six plans were presented. Things are all open here, Hubert said. We're not starting from ground zero. We're trying to build on from our initial planning. There's a lot of reevaluation that we'll need to do. The traffic, the environmental, the connectivity to neighborhoods, other points of interest. But we're trying to carry forward the original ideas that were generated 10 years ago from Phase 2. Hubert said Phase 3 does not include any changes on the Niagara Scenic Parkway from Center Street North, telling visitors that section remains in the state's long-range planning. I just wanted to reinforce it does not include the portion of the parkway north that goes to Youngstown, he emphasized. That's not included in this present project. 
Hubert said a main difference in the phase three design versus phase two is there are no plans for work on the adjoining streets as was done previously with Whirlpool Street in phase two. He noted the Greenway Commission is funding elements of the phase three design study and told attendees there's no monies identified yet for final design or for construction at this point. Of phase three, he added, we're going to be looking at connectivity with NYPA, Niagara University, plus the four state parks along the route. With the neighborhoods, traffic, points of interest, aesthetics, environmental, we'll be starting with these three basic alternatives and building from that and there could be modifications. Hubert said the NYPA cor corridor is being advanced as a separate project. It's been determined the three traffic lanes over the NYPA dam are at the end of their useful life. NYPA is working on plans to replace the decks on those bridges. He said NYPA's traffic studies would assist state planners as phase three designs move ahead. Hubert said the three alternative designs under, construction, under consideration from six initially presented would involve some use of the existing northbound lanes in a two-way arrangement. Alternative three, continuing reuse of the existing parkway lane set up from Finley Drive through Devil's Hole State Park to the NYPEA area, then reverting to two-lane traffic lanes to Center Street. It's basically extending the pilot project of Phase 2 and continuing the full length of the Phase 3 project corridor as a two-lane road, he said. Alternative 4, a meandering park road with a partial removal and a continuing trail to Center Street. It's a smaller scale park road that would not be continuous, Hubert said. It would run from Finlay up to Devil's Hole State Park and then pick up again from Upper Mountain Road up to Center Street. It would skip over the middle section at NYPA where the traffic would go over to 104. Alternative six, a full removal of the parkway from Finlay Drive to Center Street with no improvements to the exiting neighboring roadway as was done with Whirlpool Street. It would totally remove vehicular traffic from the edge of the gorge, Hubert said. Discussing the potential parkway alignments to neighboring streets under alternatives three and four, Hubert said one scenario would be a two-lane road the waterside would be a continuous pathway network. It could include connections, vehicular, bike, or both, to the neighborhoods. That's to be determined. Don't take any of that as gospel right now. Hubert said modifications to Devil's Hole, as well as changes to the parkway from NYPA to Center Street, are under consideration. It would be a continuous two-lane road, he said. It would use the middle section of the power plant as a three-level bridge with the middle section for vehicular traffic with interchange improvements to Upper Mountain Road. Hebert said a new overlook constructed in the Fort Gray Drive neighborhood 
and one being built into Art Park State Park will allow for greater access to the river areas as well as to the concert venues at Ladder. It's something that Parks already has in the works now. As far as an anticipated project schedule, Collier's representative Kimberly Baptiste said the public workshops and discussions on the design alternatives now underway would continue to August. Design reports and environmental assessments would follow and be finalized by August 2025, followed by final design work on actual construction. She said this would take 12 to 18 months and an actual time frame will still be determined to be determined. The project construction would take up to 24 months with a, an envisioned startup for 2028. No decisions have been made, she said. We are building upon the alternatives started as part of the 2013 process, phase two. But those are open for refinement, for tweaking, based largely on the feedback and technical analysis. Baptiste said the Parkway project has yet to receive any state funding beyond the initial Greenway money for design work and that the related MYPA improvements are being managed by the Power Authority. In the meantime, the public scoping process continues with future information sessions to be scheduled. For more information on the Niagara Scenic Parkway project, visit www.niagaraparkway.com removal, that's all one word, dot com. Fashion outlets of Niagara Falls, USA, teaming with Town of Niagara to give back to the community. Fashion outlets of Niagara, USA, in partnership with the Town of Niagara, is donating $50,000 to various charitable groups and organizations that benefit the residents of the Town of Niagara and neighboring communities. This do annual donation will be publicly awarded to various charitable recipients at the annual Give Fashionably event at 6 p.m. Tuesday, February 13th. The presentation will be made at the Mall, 1900 Military Road, in front of Saks Off 5th. We are proud to partner with the Town of Niagara to award these very deserving community groups, said John Doran, Fashion Outlet's General Manager. For more than 20 years, the Town of Niagara and the Fashion Outlets of Niagara Falls have partnered on this program. Since embarking on the partnership, they've donated over $1 million locally. There are many vital community organizations that are in need of additional support, Town of Niagara Supervisor Sylvia Virtuoso said, we're pleased to continue our partnership with the fashion outlets to help these organizations year after year. There are more than 30 recipients of this year's program, including Carolyn's House, YWCA of the Niagara Frontier, Community Missions of the Niagara Frontier, Empower, Feathers of Love, Health Association of Niagara County, in Tanum slash Opportunities Unlimited, Niagara Arts and Cultural Center, Niagara County Meals on Wheels, Niagara Falls Boys and Girls Club, Niagara Hospice, Salvation Army, Society of St. Vincent de Paul Food Pantry, 
United Way of Greater Niagara. For additional information on this and other activities, visit fashionoutletsniagara.com. The 700,000 square foot Fashion Outlets of Niagara Falls, USA is managed by Maserich. For additional information, visit its website, like it on Facebook, or follow on X Twitter and Instagram at Fashion Niagara. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Island Dispatch and the Niagara County Tribune Sentinel on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service, continuing with the Tribune Sentinel for February 9th. Village of Lewiston sets public hearings on prohibiting new self-storage facilities by Joshua Maloney. Village of Lewiston trustees on Monday voted to schedule a public hearing on the merits of banning new self-storage facilities within the municipality. Residents can voice their opinions at 6 p.m. Monday, March 4th, inside the Morgan Lewis Village Boardroom at the Red Brick Municipal Building, 145 North 4th Street. We just found a need to include this in the laws that we have already on the books, Mayor Ann Welch said. Village Council Joseph Leone Jr. said, this is a separate local law that says the reasons why and it specifically deals with the definition of self-storage facility, the basis of which comes from New York State lien law that I enhanced a little bit to make it clear. The proposed local law number 1-2024, which would prohibit self-storage facilities, was explained this way on the agenda. The purpose of this local law is to amend Appendix B, Zoning of the Village of Lewiston Code of Ordinances, with regard to self-storage facilities. In doing so, the Mayor and Village Board of Trustees recognize the the difficulty in balancing the importance of promoting new businesses within the community and yet recognize the geographical limitations of the village of Lewiston being one square mile and the lack of an industrial zone which could potentially be suitable for self-storage facilities. This local law is not intended to ban any prior non-conforming use. Appendix B, Zoning of the Village of Lewiston Code of Ordinances, and in particular Section 7, definitions thereof is hereby amended to enact the following. Self-storage facility. Any real property or a portion thereof that is designed and used for the purpose of renting, leasing, or occupying storage space by occupants who are to have access thereto for the purpose of storing and removing personal property. A self-storage facility does not include a garage or other storage area in a private residence or other specifically permitted or accessory use. A self-storage facility is specifically deemed to be not similar in nature and scale to permitted use in B districts and R-B districts A self-storage facility is specifically deemed to be not similar in nature to permitted use and not consistent with the adopted 
Village of Lewiston Local Waterfront Revitalization Program in W-D districts and not similar in nature to permitted uses and not consistent with the promotion of pedestrian traffic and enhancement of the aesthetic quality in R-B-2 districts. A self-storage facility is disqualified from the ability to obtain a special use permit in any district within the village of Lewiston, New York. If the law is adopted, new self-storage facilities, as described above, would not be permitted anywhere in the village. Following the municipal meeting, Trustee Nick Conde said self-storage was already prohibited but we wanted to strengthen the wording in it. Welch said, there are certain areas that somebody could go in and build these storage facilities in residential sections. Nick came up and he thought we should strengthen the code to make sure that that can't happen. Conde said, where the current zoning fell, there's a lot of properties that fall right on Center Street that could potentially be used for self-storage. I don't think this board wanted to see storage units on Center Street. It wouldn't look too good. It wouldn't fit with the village. Leone noted a series of steps have to be implemented before the village board can change the law. The proposal will first go to the village's planning commission and then to the Niagara County Planning Board for consideration. This is necessary because it's a change of the zoning law, Yoni said. Those panels have the right to weigh in. With regard to the self-storage business already operating on Cuga Street, Leone said the new law recognizes that there is an existing use and it's not looking to put that person out of business. Moreover, he explained, nobody's looking to say that you can't have a garage or you can't rent a couple of your garage units for somebody. We're talking about a facility. He added, the law that it comes out of deals with people who don't pay their bill, like you see on TV. They're going to sell somebody's storage unit. That's where the definition of self-storage facility comes from. I put a little bit extra in there just to make sure that it's clarified. But we, can, but we then say it doesn't include a garage or a storage area in a private residence or other specifically permitted use. So if I had a garage behind my house that had three stalls and I wanted to use those, I could. We're talking about a full facility. In the fall of 2022, a real estate investor presented a plan to convert the Lewiston Event Center into a self-storage facility. Trustees sent the proposal to the Zoning Board of Appeals for clarification on whether or not such a business is permitted in the B-1 business district. By a 4-to-1 vote, the ZVA ruled self-storage does not align with Municipal Code, Section 9, District Regulations, D-1-BG. Once self-storage is reviewed, Welch noted the village board might circle back to storage units on residential properties. There's something that we have to look at also, she said. It's not that you can't have one. A lot of people use them. It's just that we don't want it to be there for a year parked in the driveway and your neighbors can't see past it. 
I think there needs to be a time limit on how long you can use it. In the news, in other business from this week's work session, the village approved these motions. A request from the Mason Forever Foundation to host a 5K run on Wednesday, June 5th. Lewiston Assembly of God's application to rent Academy Park and the Alfonso I. Domino Memorial Band Shell to host a carnival event from 3 to 9 p.m. Saturday, May 11th. This will serve as a fundraiser to purchase picnic tables for the future park pavilion. Lewiston Porter Youth Football and Cheers application to use Frank F, or Richard F. Saluri Park, Cuga Street, Spoils Plateau, for football and cheerleading practice from 5.30 to 8 p.m. April 15th through October 27th, and to host a tournament from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. June 8th to 9th. The annual trick-or-treat on Center Street from noon to 3 p.m. Sunday, October 27th. This request includes closing Center Street, 6th to 4th Street, for the duration of the event and the use of Hennepin Park. And finally, using $26,243 of the remaining funds from the sale of the Big Yellow House at 475 Ridge Street to pay MJ Mechanical Service for two single-zone HVAC systems in the clerks and mayor offices as previously approved. Baby Shower Supports Summit Life Center by Rachel Stevens. The Colonial Heights Free Methodist Church recently held a unique Jack and Jill baby shower at the church. We as a congregation got together and did all of the things you do at a shower. We played baby shower games, drank punch, ate snacks, and enjoyed fellowship and laughter. But instead of buying gifts for a mother-to-be that we knew, we bought gifts such as diapers, strollers, clothes, toys, toiletries, and more to donate to Summit Life Center. Summit is a local pregnancy resource center that focuses on helping the mother, not just through pregnancy, but the families can find support through the first year of the baby's life. They are located at 1622 Pine Avenue, Niagara Falls. In addition to on-site sonograms and prenatal support, the center provides parenting classes where parents can earn credits that they can use for diapers, clothes, and toys, giving these families incentive to grow and learn. We had a great time supporting and praying for these young families. One of the women in the church even crocheted more than 20 little hats for the babies of the center, praying through her stitches. Perhaps what our church did for Summit Life Center will inspire others to support the center. We hope so. They are really doing a great work, and you can tell that they care deeply for these women who are faced with such hard decisions. Rachel Stevens is Family Ministries Director for Colonial Heights Free Methodist Church, 1310 Saunders Settlement Road, Niagara Falls. Walk with me visiting artists ex exhibition at Louport. Upper level art students at Lewiston Porter High School had the opportunity to work directly with four professional local artists this winter. Ceramic artist Junko McKee, Matthew Sigourney, and Rob Lynch of Solo Ross 
as well as artist and curator Dana Murray Tyrell, provided Luport students with an inside perspective of their professional art-making practices through multiple artist workshops. Art students were then able to make their own artworks in response to the concepts presented by each professional artist. An exhibition featuring these student works alongside professional artworks of each artist will be curated by the Luport Gallery Project students. Ceramic artist McGee, a recently retired Buffalo Public School art teacher, demonstrated a variety of hand building and wheel throwing techniques for students. Ceramic students were in awe of her comfort and the ease with which she executed her complex pieces. Artists Matthew Sigourney and Rob Lynch worked together as the Solo Ross to create large-scale improvisational paintings. This dynamic duo painted live in the high school atrium for all of our art students and discussed their unique and highly creative art-making process. Luport printmaking students created artworks that were directly influenced by the Solo Ross use of printing, repetitive mark making, and collage. Artist and curator Tyrell visited on multiple occasions to share his insight as a curator as well as an artist. Luport's gallery project course, which focuses on curation and exhibition programming of the school's gallery space, received feedback from Tyrell on their own ideas and layout for a collaborative exhibition hosted at the school. Upper level art students were able to try out some of Terrell's experimental art making techniques in an artist workshop he led. Join us from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Thursday, February 15th in the Level Art Gallery at Lewiston Porter High School to experience the culmination of these thought-provoking artist workshops in the exhibition, Walk With Me. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Island Dispatch and the Niagara County Tribune Sentinel on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. The Island Dispatch for February 9th, front page. Marston, Make Grand Island a No-Flood Zone by Karen Carr Keefe. A drenching rainstorm and snow melt on January 26 left a wet footprint of dangerous flooding on several island roadways. Supervisor Pete Marston wants to eliminate the possibility that such a massive flooding event ever again impedes travel and blocks neighborhoods on Grand Island. To that end, he introduced a resolution at Monday's town board meeting that seeks support for the restoration of the watershed on Grand Island to its past performance levels. The board voted unanimously in favor of the resolution to seek support from government agencies and officials to achieve stream maintenance and seek funding to assist the process. Due to restrictions imposed by overarching government agencies, it has become impossible for us to maintain the drainage system that our creeks and streams should provide for the entire community, the supervisor's resolution said. Marston wants to ensure that the town has the plan and the financial means to fix the problem of poor drainage and prevent a recurrence of the watery mess that ensued.
Residents on South Lane, Pin Oak Circle, and the vicinity near Woods Creek and Spicer Creek were swamped, but by nightfall that Friday, the town had dealt with the deluge effectively. At the meeting, Marston praised the town's flood response, but cautioned that red tape from other government entities is tying the town's hands in trying to solve the problem. I'd like to take a minute and thank both the Highway Department and our Sewer Department for their extraordinary efforts that they put in during our flooding times, Marston said. You guys worked very hard, and two guys were texting me late in the evening. They were very diligent and did their best with what they had, and subsequently, that's why we're looking to give them more tools to fight with, because I think they were overwhelmed. And again, they did their best, and I appreciate them. I appreciate their effort for the town. Marston's motion was seconded by Council Member Dan Kilmore, who spoke in favor of the resolution. Number one, long overdue, he said. Number two, I'd like to see, I'd like to make sure, in conjunction with the highway superintendent, that we have a plan something in the can so if we get this approval we can actually start working on it right away. Marston said that was the focus of a recent meeting he had with Highway Superintendent Dick Crawford and department staffers as well as town engineering department personnel. We really pushed the envelope on we need to have plans ready so that if we do get any potential funding that we are ready to go, he said. I've been assured that we have some funding and what we don't have, we are going to get. At the earlier town board workshop meeting, Marston said the local waterfront revitalization program, LWRP, now encompasses a lot of the town's watershed, which comes inland and we know we have certain issues with said watershed. A draft LWRP that was five years in the making has been sent to the state for review. In discussion before the vote, Council Member Tom Degatti said the approach to the drainage issue should be twofold. Addressing something that's been years in the making and we need a more immediate plan for that one, he said. You also have to look at this from the standpoint of ongoing maintenance to make sure we don't get to this point again. I know Dick Crawford and the highway crews do what they can when they can, but the issue is we've been kind of handcuffed by our ability to get in and clean these things and comply with DEC requirements and the like. Marston added, We have been handcuffed by overarching authorities, not ourselves. We are more than willing to go help ourselves if allowed. We have not been allowed. In August 2023, James Sharp, chair of the Comprehensive Review Advisory Board, presented a status update on LWRP to the town board. At that time, Sharp said the town's streams and creeks are getting dammed up hampering the ability of the river to revitalize itself through freshwater channels. Every time we try to fix them, we're facing the Army Corps of Engineers and the DEC State Department of Environmental Conservation, 
saying, you can't go there, you can't do that, he said. Under the new LWRP plan, Sharp said that before the federal or state governments do anything with the shoreline, they will need to get agreement from the town. Crawford and Marston explained on Wednesday that a number of newer factors have emerged that now exacerbate the drainage problems the island has faced over the years. The natural context includes clay soil, a flat topography, and a complex system of creeks and streams that drain into the river. Problems worsen when you add to that the downed trees decimated by the emerald ash borer and the state regulations that prevent removal of the debris impeding the water flow to the river. The DEC's regulations, they are the agency that permits the town to be able to go in there and do any type of remediation work to open the creeks back up. It's very restrictive of what they will allow, Crawford said. It's our hope through the town board's resolutions that our state and federal reps will chime in and look to see how relief can be granted. Otherwise, flooding will continue. In other actions, the town board passed a motion to execute a one-year extension to the existing contract with the Grand Island Fire Company as outlined in the town's original contract, pending legal review. Approved hiring an engineering firm, Clo Harbor and Associates, CHA, to oversee the state environmental quality review process for the warehouse slash distribution center proposed by a quest development for 2780 Long Road. The town is the lead agency in the SEQR process, but the developer has agreed to pay for the hiring of the firm. We've had good discussions with this vendor, Marston said at the board's workshop session. We feel that it behooves the town to have a professional at the helm. Degatti said the engineering company is going to coordinate with existing experts we have. And most importantly, it will be the applicant who foots the bill for the services, not the town. He noted this hiring gives the town's engineering department the opportunity to deal with some smaller projects and gives us the depth on the bench that is appropriate for a project of this magnitude. Approved a special use permit amendment for Matthew and Cherish Beals, 12121 Amberwood Drive, to allow them to operate as a three-bedroom bed and breakfast from the previous two-bedroom facility. The town board, meanwhile, is working to draft a law that would better regulate bed and breakfast establishments. Regarding local law number six of 2023, on amending the town zoning code regarding allowable uses in the M1 district. The board approved referring the matter to the Erie County Planning Board and setting a public hearing for 8 p.m. Monday, March 18th. Aldi Eyes Island Site by Karen Carr Keefe. Town Supervisor Pete Marston confirmed that Aldi is close to closing a deal that would bring the popular discount grocery store to Grand Island.
He said the plans look good. Also, the chances appear good that Islanders can look forward to putting Aldi on their town in-town shopping route. It's not on the table yet, but we've seen everything. I'd say it's 90%, Marston said. The plan is for Aldi to go in at Staley and Stony Point Roads at the old information center across the road from Tim Hortons. They have been to the town with preliminary plans and they are working forward on their final engineering, Marston said. That's a welcome change, the supervisor said, of bringing the Aldi's brand to Grand Island. He said some residents may say the store should choose a different site on the island, but he said that's not something the town can control. Marston said the location is at the busiest part of the thruway on Grand Island, and that's the busiest part of Grand Island Boulevard on the island. Those two factors right there, and they're looking to capture commuter traffic. So those are two things right there that make it a win-win for them. Highway Superintendent Dick Crawford pointed out that traffic patterns have been altered with the closing of Exit 18B for reconstruction of the thruway overpass at Beaver Island Parkway. Once the bridge is reopened, people's driving patterns have changed at the north end of the island, how they leave, he said. How many people are going to continue to go down Whitehaven and how many will go back to that old route of going all the way to Stony Point Road to Staley and getting on that way? The overpass reconstruction project began in March of 2023 and was originally projected to be completed by the end of the year. Weather and supply delays pushed the likely end date to sometime this spring. From the opinions page of the dispatch, Spike in break-ins must spur changes by Christian Baleda. I have been attuned to the concerns of our community members regarding recent incidents of car break-ins, thefts, and burglaries. I first became aware of these occurrences approximately a month ago through various social media platforms where residents shared their experiences and concerns. Additionally, the recent unfortunate incident involving a fellow council member's car being broken into heightened my attention to the issue. Most recently, the severity of the situation became even more evident when my own neighborhood fell victim to a spate of car robberies with multiple vehicles being targeted just this past Sunday night. These incidents underscore the urgent need for collaborative efforts between our residents, law enforcement agencies, and local government to address and mitigate such criminal activities effectively. I've been actively engaged in discussions with our town, town's various law enforcement officials and the officer in charge of the Grand Island Town Police to enhance efforts aimed at addressing the recent surge in car break-ins. This includes ongoing dialogue with our local police department to strategize and coordinate patrols more effectively. Additionally, I've begun to reach out to the Erie County Sheriff's Office, New York State Police, and U.S. Border Patrol and Customs agents stationed in our town, urging them to increase their presence and adopt proactive measures to deter criminal activity. 
Furthermore, I'm engaging, I'm currently in the process of also engaging with our town justices to advocate for stricter penalties for burglary and motor vehicle theft offenses. Lastly, I am extending efforts to higher ranking officials such as State Assemblyman Angelo Morinello and Senator Sean Ryan, seeking their support in securing additional grant funding for our police department. This funding would be instrumental in bolstering our department's technological capabilities, acquiring essential equipment, and potentially expanding our personnel resources. By collaborating closely with law enforcement agencies at all levels and advocating for necessary resources, we aim to effectively address and combat the recent uptick in criminal incidents within our community. I don't have definitive information regarding the identities or origins of the suspects involved in the recent car break-ins and thefts. However, what I can share is that this issue isn't isolated to Grand Island alone. Several neighboring towns have also experienced similar incidents, suggesting a pattern of mobility among those responsible. It's akin of a, to a game of whack-a-mole, where the culprits seem to relocate once law enforcement efforts intensify in a particular area. Well, Video footage indicates that the individuals involved may appear young. I cannot provide confirmation regarding their age. It's important to refrain from making assumptions about the demographics of the suspects until we have concrete evidence. What I can assert is that Grand Island is a close-knit community and it's disheartening to think that anyone within our community would engage in such behavior. I remain committed to working closely with law enforcement and our residents to address this concerning issue. There indeed is a palpable sense of fear and frustration among our residents and understandably so. As someone who not only anticipated this trend, but also became a victim myself, I empathize with the shared feelings of frustration and hopelessness. Grand Island has long prided itself on its low crime rates, and it's disheartening to witness this recent spike in criminal activity. I strongly advise our residents to take proactive measures to prevent and deter car break-ins. First and foremost, ensure that your vehicles are always locked, even when parked in your driveway. Additionally, refrain from leaving valuables in plain sight inside your vehicle. It's also wise to park in well-lit areas whenever possible, as this can act as a deterrent to potential thieves. Furthermore, consider investing in security measures such as car alarms, steering wheel locks, or even surveillance cameras for your property. Remember to report any suspicious activity to the authorities promptly, as this can aid in their efforts to apprehend perpetrators and prevent further incidents. Lastly, I encourage residents to stay informed and engaged with our community's efforts to address this issue. By working together and remaining vigilant, we can effectively combat car break-ins and help ensure the safety and security of our town. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Island Dispatch 
on the Niagara Frontier radio reading service, continuing with the dispatch for February 9th. In the news, Rotary Club Eclipse event. We're excited to share an exceptional learning opportunity with you. The Rotary Club of Grand Island has graciously invited Dr. Kevin Williams, the esteemed director of the Whitworth Ferguson Planetarium at SUNY Buffalo State University and associate professor of geosciences to deliver a captivating presentation on the upcoming solar eclipse. This event is open to all. It begins at 1.30 p.m. Saturday, March 2nd in the Grand Island High School Auditorium. As many of you know, Western New York is situated directly within the path of totality for the solar eclipse on Monday, April 8th. This rare phenomenon where the moon completely covers the sun promises an unforgettable celestial spectacle. It's a unique opportunity, especially since Western New York is perfectly positioned for this event, attracting enthusiasts and visitors in large numbers. We encourage you to join the Grand Island Rotary at this free educational event. Williams' expertise offers a fantastic chance to deepen our understanding of this astronomical event. Additionally, we're pleased to remind you that the Grand Island School District has procured a pair of solar eclipse glasses for each student, ensuring a safe viewing experience. These glasses will be distributed before the spring recess. For those interested in obtaining extra pairs for family members, Williams kindly offers them in exchange for a voluntary donation of $2 to the planetarium. Don't miss this wonderful opportunity to engage in a community learning experience and witness a remarkable natural event. We look forward to seeing many of you there. For more information on the Rotary Club of Grand Island, visit www.rotaryclubgi.org. Niagara Falls Memorial Medical Center completes expanded and renovated behavioral health emergency room. Niagara Falls Memorial Medical Center announced the expansion and renovation of its behavioral health emergency room, what officials call a pivotal step forward in enhancing mental health services for the residents in the Niagara region and beyond. With a total investment of just under $150,000, the project showcases NFMMC's dedication to providing exceptional and compassionate care to individuals facing mental health emergencies. As one of only two specialized behavioral health emergency rooms serving the combined population of nearly 1.2 million in Niagara County and Erie County, NFMMC's enhanced facility is uniquely positioned to meet the growing need for expert, immediate mental health care. This expansion strengthens Memorial's ability to provide rapid specialized care and significantly improves the patient experience in times of crisis. Memorial Medical Center President and CEO Joseph Ruffalo said, the introduction of our upgraded behavioral health emergency room, in addition to the expansion of our inpatient services, signifies a significant moment in our mission to address mental health issues across the region. 
Our upgraded facilities and services stand as a testament to our commitment to guide those who struggle with mental health toward the path of recovery. In addition to the emergency room expansion, Memorial has incre also increased its capacity to support patients requiring longer-term behavioral health interventions. The press release stated, with the addition of seven new inpatient beds, the center now has 35 inpatient beds dedicated to behavioral health, making it the sole inpatient provider of behavioral health services in Niagara County and surrounding areas. The enhanced facility features state-of-the-art design and technology, ensuring patients receive care in a safe, supportive, and therapeutic environment. The mental health professionals at Memorial are well-trained to offer a wide range of crisis stabilization services, ensuring that each patient receives personalized, compassionate care. As Memorial continues to lead the way in comprehensive behavioral health services, this project marks a significant step towards addressing the critical need for accessible, high-quality mental health care in our community across western New York. Botanical Gardens, free admission for community nights. In partnership with New York State Assemblyman Pat Burke, the Buffalo and Erie County Botanical Gardens is opening for free admission from 5 to 8 p.m. on the first Wednesday of each month through 2024. A press release stated, this brand new series of events called Community Nights will welcome visitors and partners from the community, old and new, to enjoy the botanical gardens and share in all that Buffalo and Western New York has to offer. It added, each month partners from the community will be invited to participate with information tables, interactive programs, performances, and more to create a fun, accessible night to come together and enjoy the city of good neighbors. Each month we'll celebrate a different theme or occasion to uplift the voices and impactful missions that the Buffalo community's wide range of organizations and businesses has to offer. Western New Yorkers are encouraged to visit to enjoy the beautiful gardens while learning more about what's happening in the area and all of the amazing opportunities that the community offers for its neighbors. Each community night will also feature educational programming with members of the Botanical Gardens team through learning stations, scavenger hunts, activities, and information about events and classes. The first Wednesday of 2024 kicked off with Escape the Winter for an evening of warmth and relaxation after the busy holiday season on January 3rd. More than 600 guests attended the free event and heard the music of Ravi Pananaba. February's Community Night from Soil to Soul, a celebration of Buffalo's Black heritage, will welcome the Niagara Falls Underground Railroad. Heritage Center, the Buffalo History Museum, and the Colored Musicians Club and Jazz Museum to highlight and share some of Buffalo's Black stories from then and now. Also on February 7th, visitors will also be able to enjoy the brand new orchid exhibit of the Botanical Gardens. It features thousands of orchids highlighted with lights. 
March will follow with Beyond Barriers, a celebration of inclusion as a local celebration of Disabilities Awareness Month on March 6. Partners will include Unique Theater, Erie County Office for People with Disabilities, and Spina Bifida of Western New York. April is springtime at the Botanical Gardens and visitors will get to enjoy fragrant spring flowers with over 30,000 blooming bulbs on April 3rd. More themes and partnerships will be announced in the coming months. Organizers are asking for interested cultural organizations from the Buffalo community that would like to participate to reach out to events at buffalogardens.com. Performances, programming, or other educational opportunities are encouraged to make the most impact on each community night. Community nights are completely free of charge. Online reservations are encouraged to help partners to plan their programming, but are not required. Walk-ins will be welcomed. For more information, visit buffalogardens.com. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the February issues of the Island Dispatch and the Niagara County Tribune Sentinel. Your reader has been Patricia. Thank you for listening.